Hi there, and welcome to a different way of seeing. Have you ever wondered how a disabled person lives their life? Join our host Lois Drachen as she chats to people about work, education, travel, sport, the arts, and leisure, and the tools and techniques they use to live their lives with the disability. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Different Way of Seeing, a podcast where we talk all things disability. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today, we are returning to a topic that we touched on a little while back, that of employment of persons with disability. And once again, I've reached out to disability inclusion expert, Jeremy Opperman, to chat to us about, well, Let's ask Jeremy. Hi there, Jeremy. Welcome back to the podcast. Tell us what you're going to be talking about. Hello, it's good to be back. Thank you. So today we're going to close the loop um, in the in the big in the big issue around how do we increase disability inclusion in the workplace. And so in the previous episodes, we spoke about needing to take perspective to not be trapped into a compliance um, frenzy on the one hand. Uh, it's very important. Uh, secondly, to look at the reality check, which is the human rights view of disability. And lastly, we focus a little bit on the business case. Is there a business case? What is the business case? And why is it important? And that's what we've done in the past. So today, what I wanted to do was to um, focus on the on the a really important and 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 often frenetic issue, which is employing people with disabilities. Now, it's obviously important um, that we that we do that. So that's really what we're going to be doing. I'm going to be taking you through a little bit of a strategy on the employment of persons with disabilities. Would you like me to go straight ahead, or would you like to ask a question? Well, I think at this point, I, I just want to really comment and say that. You know, up till now, we looked at some of the challenges that are facing this as a, as, as a topic, which obviously impact on not just persons with disabilities, but in organizations who are wanting to hire them and for one or other reason are really struggling to do so. And what mm -hmm. I like about the conversation today is that we're saying, okay, so we've given you this information. What now? And I'm really interested to dig into the what now. What can human resource departments do to increase the numbers of persons with disabilities they're employing? And how can persons with disabilities themselves understand this information to make it of value to them as well? So yeah, let's dive straight in and hear what you have to share with us. Thanks, Lois. So, and you, you've just said something really interesting there. You know, your your, your comment was, uh, "What can human resource departments do to succeed in this area?" And and that's a really a really interesting issue because it it points to one of the greatest traps in this game 
is to throw the ball at HR and expect them to run with it. And this is exactly what companies do, organizations do. Now, there's a reason for that. In the previous episodes, we spoke about the compliance. I call it the compliance view, the legislative compliance view. And the compliance is actually quite, there's, there's quite a lot of strictures. There's a lot of obligation, and they're quite onerous, largely from the Employment Equity Act. In the, I'm spe- speaking absolutely specifically to, the, to that. And so because of that, that it's the Employment Equity Act, which means that human resources, obviously, because they're in charge of employment in the business, it's understandable that they would be the ones saddled with this challenge. Now, what I've noticed over 25 years is how often companies work in silos and how often, sadly, human resources do their utmost Uh, to try and succeed in this area, but don't necessarily get the cooperation and get the understanding of the other elements of the business because the other areas of the business tend to want to do their stuff and assume that HR needs to do their stuff, stay in your lane. But And and, and because I've had considerable experience in this, I've I've watched this, this thing unfolding and I've seen some patterns here. So typically what would happen is your human resources would follow what's called the employment cycle. The employment cycle begins at the beginning where you have the intent to hire someone. Um, that, then that, that translates then into your willingness and then you actually advertise. Then you select people who come, who, um, come in, who literally, um, What's the word? Um, apply. And so now you've got a selection process. Then you interview. And then you'd make a decision. And then you place. And then beyond that, you you nurture. You should, in fact, uh, you know, should look after your, your staff. And that's called retention. And then you might hire and fire later. Or, you, you know, you, you might want to dismiss for whatever reason. But that's the employment cycle. So it begins you know, with your desire to employ, and it ends with retirement, resignation, whatever. But the, there are steps there. So once again, just to, just to reiterate, you've got advertise, you've got um, your, your interview process, you've got your placement process, and very importantly, and this is a, a very important one in, in, in that we've seen, particularly around disability, is retention. Mm-hmm. But I'll speak more to that just now. So that's your employment cycle. Now, typically what organizations do is that they work only in that lane and they play with the employment cycle. Now, here's where the problem lies, um, is that to employ, you've got to get the cooperation of the particular line department, um, the, the unit, the department, the entity in the business that needs the individual and that is expecting human resources to provide an individual for them. And that's, that's really important. So you've got to have that cooperation. Now, if you're hiring people with disabilities, it requires very often a little bit more thought, a little bit more knowledge, and very often an, an awareness in some of the key issues of disability employment. And one of the most important ones, of course, is what's called reasonable accommodation. And there's a lot of mythology around reasonable accommodation in that we, um, we've, you know, a lot of people are quite frightened by the concept because they immediately turn it into a, a rands and cents or dollar. Yeah. 
dollar amount, and that's that's not true. We know that from research now for 30, 40 years is that reasonable accommodation is not nearly as expensive as it used to be thought it would be. Yes. Because simply it's largely procedural, and yes, indeed, it can cost money, but it's always a good investment because there's here's one of the here's one of the lesser appreciated facts about hiring people with disabilities is that they're not mobile in other words they very rarely job hop now in our country we have a very robust employment equity tradition in in companies and and it's all good stuff okay and we have an, an enormous burgeoning black middle class because of the employment equity act so it's all good but what what goes with that is um, the ability of those people, because they're in demand, those people with equity, uh, they're persons of color and they're women of color, they are very mobile because they can be. And so they tend to job hop, usually following the money. And so there's a, and that's quite a frustration for companies, actually, because they often lose great talent that way. But what they will not lose are they persons with disabilities simply because it's exceedingly hard to find a job out there with a disability. And so if you're going to invest in a person with a disability, the that cost is sunk. It's a it's an investment. You're not wasting it. And so that's why I'm 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 very I'm less tolerant of 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 people who worry about reasonable accommodation being hugely expensive. Now, I want to leave the employment cycle there for a moment and this is where I I want to introduce Something of a strategy, because what I've noticed is that in, that human resources, as I've said earlier, very often struggle to get the message across that hiring people with disabilities is worthwhile and is necessary, particularly from a legislative point of view. We need the numbers and all that. And so here's here's an approach that I've been working on for many years. I call it holistic, holistic equity, holistic disability equity. So typically, if I were lecturing this, if I were teaching this, I would put it up on a PowerPoint and I would I would have a three-column table, if you like. Not really a table. Well, I suppose you could make it a table, but it, it's essentially three columns. And I'm going to be focusing largely on the first column on the left and the third column on the right. And then I'll talk a little bit about the middle column. So... Here's what here's what I'm going to introduce here. I call this holistic disability equity because we're looking at the organization holistically. Now, there's a lovely term that was coined by an organization in Britain. In those days, they were called the disability, the Business Disability Forum. Um, their, their name has changed somewhat now. And they coined a phrase about 30 years ago. Yeah, 40, nearly 40 years ago, called disability confidence. And it's a super term because what it implies is, are you disability confident? And when they say you, they mean the individuals in the business, but they also mean the entities making up that business. Now, here's my theory. Every business, every business under the sun has elements of what I'm going to go through now. Every business under the sun, doesn't matter how small or big, have entities which are identifiable. Bigger, more robust businesses have IT departments, facilities departments, infrastructure departments, sales, marketing, finance, administration. 
Now, those are human resources. Those are all entities that make up a business. And here's, here's my take on holistic disability equity. If you only rely on your human resource department to deliver and you pay no attention to the other elements of the business, how easy is it going to be for you to succeed in um, disability equity purely from hiring people? On the other hand, if you look, and that's why this is something of a table, if you look and you try and apply the concept of um, disability confidence in all the entities within that make up a business, and if you can make each one of those entities more disability confident, then your will your your exercise of trying to hire people in that business will be far easier. So let's go through it a little bit. So that's what the right-hand column is. So the left-hand column is your employment cycle. And you can you can apply disability confidence in this column as well. So, for instance, you can say, is your advertising, is your advertising disability confident? Who are you, who are you putting it out to? Interviewing. Is your interview process disability confident? Are you applying reasonable accommodation even to candidates? Placement. Are you sure that you're disability confident in your placement uh, desire? Do you know what they need? Are you taking things like reasonable accommodation into account? Retention. Are you ensuring that your, your persons with disabilities are being retained properly by looking at skills development, training opportunities, promotional opportunities, growth? Those things are almost always excluded when considering people with disabilities. So you can use the concept of disability confidence in that column. Now let's look over to the right-hand column the entities that make up a business. So let's start. There is no particular order at all. So I'm just going to go for it and, and just pick up entities as I go along. So let's take IT. So let's your IT infrastructure will include, obviously your IT will be your back end, but will also include, especially nowadays, I mean, when I first devised this 20 years ago, the front end was a lot, was a lot more crude. But lately there's a, a much more exciting and um uh, inter uh what's the word um um and practical front end of a digital platform of any business your website if you've got forms if you've got some sort of way of buying through them if you've got some way of of applying for things through your front end in your digital platform the simple question is is this disability confident because if it isn't, many people are not going to. And I saw that in a large, large organization in this country um, where the entire employment um, apparatus was electronic and you had to apply online and it was 100% inaccessible. Yes. Meaning blind people and particularly blind, totally blind people, people using screen readers um, would, would not only struggle, it would be practically impossible for them to apply for a job. And so they didn't. Yeah. But so if you ask the question, is it disability confident? The moment you ask the question, you're you're required to come up with some sort of an answer. And so now you can now you can do something about it. You and I both know people that that audit websites and digital platforms. And so that's exactly why they do that, so that they can ensure that it is accessible making that department more disability confident. Let's take another one. Um, 
infrastructure, lovely one. If your infrastructure is less disability confident, it means that you've got a lot of physical accessibility problems. Um, and we know that from a practical point of view, if you've got a, a, a considerable inaccessibility built into your infrastructure, you're going to struggle to hire people with physical disabilities. And so once again, if you can ensure that your infrastructure or your facilities department is more accessible, meaning they're more disability confident, they're going to make the HR's job a lot easier. Yeah. Now let's take um, something like marketing and sales, same thing. If your marketing and sales environment is not disability confident, and let's say you have a digital uh, product that you're selling and you and you you want to attract customers, and once again, if your digital platform is not accessible, then you're not going to be attracting customers with particularly visual disabilities, people with dyslexia, people with color blindness, the older people. And so your entire sales will be compromised because you're excluding um, Change your clients. people with, with, with yeah. digital challenges, you know, with uh, what's called, they used to call it print handicap, mm -hmm. sort of print disabilities. So, uh, and also, if your sales environment is is completely unmoved by people with disabilities requirements, perhaps you have offices or you have shops or you have retail. And if you haven't paid attention, in other words, if you haven't paid attention to making your sales and marketing environment disability confident, it's going to make your human resource job a lot harder. So can you see, Lois, the pattern here that we've, that we've created now? By increasing the disability, confidence in your entities of your business will make your human resource uh, job a lot easier. What I like about that, yeah, I was just thinking that that concept of disability confidence is both inward facing and outward facing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because exactly right. I mean, I always say to banks and to municipalities, uh, I remember saying to municipalities years ago, and they moaned when they couldn't hire more people with disabilities. And I said, so why would people with disabilities want to work for you when you don't really work for you, yeah. when you don't really take too much care about your citizens with disabilities? Is your municipal infrastructure process disability confident? And it usually makes them think a little because invariably and, and sadly, local government is famously um, prone to this problem is that they, they, they usually stereotype disability into some sort of silo. Yes. They think it's an employment issue and they think it's a welfare issue, yeah. but they don't often think of it as a consumer issue, as a conventional citizen issue. You know, people, citizens with disabilities buy houses. They've got to apply for plans. You know, they also need their water checked. They, you know, they need to put electricity into meters. And so all these things talk to disability confidence. So the bottom line is, is that we can speak, talk disability confidence in the entire business. Looking, oh, another one that I forgot to mention was procurement and supply chain. Yes. Lovely one. If your supply chain, and I've seen this end in tears, if your supply chain is not disability confident and along comes HR and they want to hire somebody and they want to, and I've seen this happen, it happened to me when they, a large organization that I was involved with, um, 
and human resource department. Like, we want to hire this guy. He needs reasonable accommodation. What does he need? He needs a piece of technology. Cool. We have to go through supply chain. Supply chain then being being that they're, they're terribly um, what's the word manacled by procedure and by yeah. governance, and so they've got incredible red tape wrapped around them, and so they are often unmoved by situations where you've got a high, where you've got to buy a piece of technology, and they'll say yes, but they're not on our preferred supplier list. Yes, and then you've got to have weeks before they become on the preferred supplier list. And then you say, well, then they say, well, then we've got to put it out to tender. And then you've got more time. And I had an, a situation where an organization took 67 days, 67 days to accommodate the individual. And that was 100% because of supply chain. And so if your supply chain is more disability confident and the head of supply chain says, oh, no, 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 then the way that would work using reasonable accommodation is the head would say, no, no, this is a piece of equipment meant for an individual for him to do the work. And we can waive tendering in this instance because it is for this reason. And he, can, and he could um, quite legitimately do that. Um, it's called a departure. Uh, but this problem is, is that very often in supply chain, they, they're frightened because they don't want to get caught. They don't want to make mistakes because supply chain has quite a bad reputation. Um, and so there's a lot more, there's a lot more strict uh, hoops that they've got to jump through. So that's another one you need to make. So you, you, in in any business, you can identify plenty of these entities which make up their entire business. And if we can create disability confidence in them, human resources will find it a lot easier to hire people with disabilities. I've got. So many different places that my brain has been heading off and with different questions and things like that while you've been talking. Mm. But I guess the one that is foremost in my brain right now is what can companies do to become more aware of their levels of disability confidence and then to increase their disability confidence? What does that process look like? Yeah, well, that's that's a great question, and the uh, and and the answer is simply to be more aware. And the only way to do that is to engage, and so you engage with the concept. You know, disability still to this day, and even globally, it ha- is sort of shaded with with controversy, with um, fear. So there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of awkwardness. Um, and those things are remedied through engagement. And so when an organization um, literally says, I want to become more disability confident, it means they want to engage. And so they engage with um, with people with disabilities. They could engage through training, awareness training, the kind of work I've been doing for many years, where you where, you know, for instance, I've been training not just the human resource people, but through the line management. By doing that every time, by focusing on them, I'm making them disability confident. So awareness, awareness work is really the only way that they can get up. But let me now introduce you to the middle column, because we've only spoken about the left-hand column and the right-hand column. The middle column actually can play a role in this as well. And your middle column I could have always included it in your right-hand column, but I, for some reason I decided to keep it in the middle column because it is slightly separate. 
and it's your corporate social investment, mm-hmm. your yes. corporate social responsibility element of the business. And and I've I've, I've separated it. I'm not entirely sure why, but I, I've chosen to do that because it can play a, a strong role. Now, we know all about corporate social investment. There's an enormous body of, of work. Uh, it's, you know, it's been it's been popular for 30 odd years. It does enormously good work in every country in the world. Your, your your companies that are committed to this, masses of amount of money are, are spent and invested in corporate social investment. Many, many, many of the three hundred thousand NGOs in this country, most of them rely on in, in some way on corporate social investment. So corporates play an extraordinarily powerful role. Um, in, in, I hate the word charity, but in non-profit work and in good works. Okay. Now here's the thing. And I'm not kidding you. I don't know. I don't actually have a way of proving this from a percentage point of view, but I'm telling you now the vast, vast majority of corporate social investment is not put towards disability. And it is often in all sorts of great things, you know, polio, AIDS, TB, you know, uh, GBV, gender-based violence, all good stuff, okay? Um, I mean, I'm not saying that, that the money is wasted. What I am saying is that from what I've seen is an extraordinary small amount is, in fact, dedicated appropriately to disability. It's all very well throwing money at a few disability projects. But when it's not done with a return on investment in mind, then it's not working for you. That's what an ROI means, return on investment. So how can you make your social responsibility benefit your company through ROI? And here's how. For instance, one of the things that corporate social investment can do is is to put money towards bursary schemes. Very, very, very few bursary schemes in this country um, provide bursaries for people with disabilities. If they did, that's a classic return on investment because the student, once graduated, will work for that company for X number of years. So that's yeah, you know, that's how that's how bonded bursaries work. Yeah. The other one is are you is your branding being utilized? So I know of NGOs at the moment, um, and I sit on the board of a couple where if sufficient work is done by that company in that NGO, then that company's brand is allowed to be projected in some way, uh, you know, in, in literature, in a billboard, in a plaque. In some way, that organization is headlighted and, and headlined um, by, by demonstrating that they've done good work. Now, if you can focus more of that towards disability empowerment projects, genuine empowerment stuff, um, computers for a computer literacy college, and it's, you know, it's clear you have a big insurance company, a big bank. This is, these are our computers. Well, you, you're giving a message there that we are disability confident. We're so confident, in fact, we're putting money towards this project, this college, this, it doesn't matter what it is. And then you make sure that that talks to your business. There's no point in having your branding up there and the rest of the business has no knowledge of the good works you are doing. 
So in other words, you need to make sure that your social investment activity speaks to your business, um, to the rest of the business, to ensure that the loop is closed because this is an engine room. It's a very powerful engine room that could benefit both the first column, the human resource employment cycle column, and the right-hand column, the other entities of the business. Because if they know what's going on, then then they can they can support it and they can they can benefit from the work that that's done. So that's how you that's in my view holistic disability equity. One of the questions that I I have seen popping up on various chat forums and things like that when talking about employment of persons with disabilities is the question and I'd love to hear your your thoughts on this. Yes, but where do we find qualified candidates? Do you Good. think there's a gap out there that is needing to somehow be filled between providing <clears throat> a forum for candidates, qualified candidates with disabilities? Absolutely. To find organizations that are seeking to employ people with their skills. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There's an enormous gap. And much of the problem um, is because of our compliance, our compliance frenzy. And there's a there's a legislative reason why we're struggling. There's an error. There has been an error built into the Employment Equity Act all the way back to 1998. And the error is this, is that there's no incentive to measure the levels of persons with disabilities who are employed which is what you have to do for gender and for color. But with disability, categorically, the Department of Labor left that off. It wasn't deliberate. It was just sloppy. And even in this latest amendment, which is current right now, literally this week, the new amendment has gone through. Once again, they missed the trick, and they did not insert there that you need to measure the levels of employment of persons with disabilities. Now, what's the significance of that? Is that without that incentive, Far too many organizations are focusing only on entry-level persons with disabilities. Now, here's a fundamental, and I brought this up in our second episode. One of the fundamental realities of disability is that more people acquire disabilities later in life than are born with them. People like you versus me. You were 20 or 21. I was born with mine. Okay, What that meant was you went through a mainstream school. You already had finished, well, you finished varsity blind, but the fact is that you'd already gone through decent Model C type education. You might have, let's say you acquired your disability 10 years later, you would have finished your qualification, you probably would have had a job and experience, and then it happened. So here's the problem. If your organizations only focus on entry-level persons with disabilities, then they're scraping the bottom of the bucket because they're only looking at those people who were acquired their disabilities at a very young age and were almost always compromised by the poor education that we provide for them. On the other hand, if we focus more, and this is where the disability confidence can play a role in the other entities of the business, is that if you could demonstrate, let's say, the the finance entity, so we didn't even touch on that. So is your finance entity disability confident? And what it, what it means is that would, it would be open to being to the employment of skilled people with disabilities in their department. So what's stopping you 
your next chief financial officer or chief financial director or your next auditor or your next accountant being a person with a disability. But if they're not disability confident, because HR is stuck in this weird paradigm that says, oh, well, we're only looking at lower level people. And that's when you get this diabolical thing called a learnership. And I mean, some learnerships are quite good, but very few learnerships related to disability are worth the paper they're written on. And they're always entry level. Is that because they don't often lead to full-time employment? Precisely. And also because usually they, they teach absolutely nothing. And so the individual's left with a worthless piece of paper and almost no job opportunity. And um, it's one of the greatest tragedies of our modern system in South Africa is that we've been duped by this, by this diabolical thing called a learnership. And have you noticed something about learnerships? They're almost always focused on the bottom rungs of the employment um, body of people. They are always entry-level type ages. There's already an age thing anyway. They're usually only in the 20s that they want people. Mm. Um, You know, they say things like, you know, you need to have a matric. So you're not going to inspire a 35-year-old accountant who's just broken his back in a cycle race if you're offering you know, uh, well, we only need a matric for this. For this, he's hardly going to inspire those people. And if your your employment, your employment department, your your human resource department, is only fixated on entry level employment for disabilities, you're excluding huge amount of skill, experience, and training that exists. Now, if your business is more disability confident then you would open up more opportunities for those people with skill. But if your human resource department is fixated on entry level only, you will largely fail, which is one of the reasons why we failed. Um, And we have failed, categorically failed, because it's 25 years old now, the Employment Equity Act, and we're still only hovering around 1% of employment of persons with disabilities. And this is why. To what degree... Is this whole conversation impacted by that multi-generational social stereotype that disability means inability? Mm, and, mm, mm. You know, to, to what extent does that play out Huge. in this Huge. conversation? No, no, it plays an enormous role because that leads to why we need awareness because most people have been brought up with that stereotype, with that paradigm, the older you know, disability paradigm or disabled paradigm, which pretty much says, well, you know, people with disabilities can't do stuff because they were taught like that. Because remember, we're all adults here. And so we were all taught by people who were very much steeped in that old paradigm. We need another generation before the social model paradigm actually clicks into place. Because as much as you and I might be very open to that paradigm, the social model paradigm versus the medical model one, uh, the fact is, is that most adults were taught by other adults some time back who were absolutely steeped in the old thinking. So their parents, their grandparents, their teachers, their doctors, um, social workers, whoever influenced them came out of the older paradigm. And so, of course, you've got this, you've got this knock-on effect of people still thinking people with disabilities. I mean, I do, I run a, a co-facilitate an, an unconscious bias workshop with another consultancy. 
And they get me to, they roll me in in one of the days of a four-day thing. And we always tease them. We do it online. And we we go through, they introduce me as a, you know, as a specialist in disability inclusion and diversity. And, but we don't say a word about what kind of disability I have. Mm-hmm. But we just say I have one. And they try, you know, and I, I tease them. <laughs> and eventually I, I let the cat out of the bag and, and we, we point out that I'm blind. Every, you know, my co-facilitator laughs like a drain because every time I do that, their jaws drop <laughs> and their mouths open. You don't sound blind. blind. Yeah, yeah. Yes. you don't sound blind. You, you know, I would never have guessed and what, what that really is, is that they're, they're listening to a man who's, who's made it his profession over 25 years, who kind of makes sense and I can speak business. And, and they didn't expect that coming yeah. from a blind person. That's a classic example of stereotypic thinking. And so, yes, no, that's a very shrewd point, Lois. Is I think it, we, it also, that's why yeah. confidence is so important. And it, it plays back into that whole discussion that you started off with saying, if this is just a discussion that is left to the human resources department to fix in inverted commas. Yes, exactly. Then you come up against that serious stereotyping. And yes. that is why often I think that it, it fails. Absolutely. Human resources can Countless do the times. best job that they can to find yep. great candidates but as soon as they're yep. placed into a situation where the management <clears throat> and team members go, what are they doing here? They can't do the job. Exactly. They exactly. have a disability. And Which is well, that's that's the awareness thing. I think that's yeah. Absolutely. But there is a there's a trick there. And that and the, and one of the ways of doing that for the for the human resource department to be disability confidence, one of the ways of doing that is to ensure that you're hiring against a very a tried and tested model. It's called competency-based recruitment. And mm-hmm. the way that works is that you focus on two things. You need to have the inherent, I'm sorry, yeah, you need to have the inherent requirement of the job. That's one thing. And secondly, you must be able to perform the essential functions of the job. Yes. Now, if you apply that rule, the CBR rule, competency-based recruitment role, rule, um, then you, you as an HR person will have little difficulty in, in actually establishing whether this individual can do the job. The trick is though, convincing the line manager who, who is ultimately going to be hiring. And I've seen this end in tears hundreds of times where the line, the HR person is convinced the individual can yeah. do the job, but the line manager stuck in an old stereotypic world is unconvinced, uncooperative. Um, and, and makes it harder and then would choose another individual over the individual with a disability, notwithstanding okay. that the candidate had one, the inherent requirements of the job and two, the ability to perform the essential functions of the job. So that awareness building aspect or the sensitization, as it were, <clears throat> is fundamentally important as a starting point of this whole conversation at, and as you say, at each aspect of a company's organization. Yes. Yes. Each of those areas. Exactly right. Exactly right. So Jeremy, as a final question here, if a person 
who is a human resources professional, is listening to our conversation and is going, huh, this is something I want to explore further. What would your advice be to, as a starting point? Well, I would I would reach out to somebody professional to really uh, look at increasing the awareness levels in my organization. And I would look very carefully at my company to see um, beyond the obvious HR department who else in the organization would benefit uh, in terms of entities and making those departments more disability confident. And so I would open the door and, and open my my opportunities uh, of employment beyond entry level and start exploring um, how one might um, how one might reach more people with disabilities and which is engagement. And so I would engage more. And then yeah, literally I would I would consult somebody with some expertise to guide me. And uh, that's that's really, I mean, you can't be expected to know stuff. Nobody knows everything. And so it's quite reasonable to reach out and ask for guidance um, and assistance. So it's it's about engagement. Engagement is the is the thing we do the worst in this game, is that we often hide from engaging with the issue around disability. There's a lot of old-fashioned fear stuff around that. Mm. Um, Sadly, there are there is a bit of misinformation out there. Sometimes some people are, are quite determined that the learnership um, paradigm, or the learnership opportunity, or the learnership infrastructure or apparatus that we've seen in this country, uh, they they try to sell it as the be all and end all, and it absolutely is not. It does not reflect the disability potential in the slightest, and companies need to be quite courageous actually and one of the other things is that they need to interrogate their employment equity uh, obligations and the employment equity work that they do for the department of labor because as much as the department of labor did not insist that they measure the levels of persons with disabilities nothing stopping the organizations from measuring the levels of persons with disabilities in their business and doing their own employment equity due diligence um and that's what I tell my my clients. I, I tell my clients, behave as if the Department of Labour has told you to measure the levels, uh, and you will and you will get more people disabilities being being interested in coming into your business. So yeah, that's I would I would that's what I would say. Thank you, Jeremy, for an absolutely fascinating conversation today. If people want to reach out to you to find out more, to learn a little bit more about the services that you offer, where can they find you? Well, it's very easy at www.disabilitydesk.co.za. Uh, they can email me at jeremy at disabilitydesk.co.za or they can find me on LinkedIn. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for a really, really interesting conversation today. It's been fascinating to chat about this very important topic and a very important way forward as a strategy you know, the strategic approach to solving hmm. a problem that affects what? Disability affects 15% of our population as a conservative. Yeah, minimum, 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 minimum. Yeah. In a country like ours, you're looking way beyond 20%.
Um, so absolutely. Yeah. More, more than a billion people in the world. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah, that is true. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of A Different Way of Seeing, and we will no doubt engage with you further on other topics in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you, Lois. Thank you so much, Lois, for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to A Different Way of Seeing. We would love to connect with you. So find Lois at loistrachen.com or Facebook, Lois Strachan Speaker. This podcast was edited by Craig Strachan using Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg, it's all about the story. The credits are done at Naledi Media. Naledi Media, all your vocal needs under one roof. Read by Charlie Jassy. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us and see you next time when we bring you into the world of seeing differently.